0: Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of Grace Point Church in Atlantic, Iowa. My name is Don McLean. I'm the senior pastor here at Grace Point. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can check us out at gracepointatlantic.com. And in the meantime, grab your Bible and check out this week's sermon. Therefore, we must pay close, much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Distributed according to his will. The word of the Lord. Good morning. Great to be together on this beautiful day. Like Paul said, we do hope you can stay afterwards for the uh, for the soup lunch, for the lunch uh, after after church, and uh, and then we do have a, our annual business meeting. If you only go to one business meeting a year, please go to this one. Uh, it's uh, we'll be reviewing the budget, looking uh, at reports in the past or reports on what happened last year. Um, I'm going to be doing a, a, as brief as I can keep it, presentation on the, um, the work we did with a consultant last week. We wanted to get back to the congregation and let you know what happened with all that. So that's why we're um, we'll be doing that as part of the meeting, too. Uh, very much determined, though, to get everybody home by 2 o'clock, so you can, all these newly minted 49ers fans here in Iowa... <laughs> Larry, you're not alone. Usually when the 49ers play, nobody cares around here, but that Iowa State quarterback is leading them. So even I'm rooting for the 49ers, and that's a hard one for me. Um, Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. I never liked Joe Montana. I've never been able to get over to that. Yeah, anyway, long time ago. Anyway, so yes, we we are determined to be done well before 2 o'clock, so uh, we won't take up your whole day, we promise. Uh, Let's pray, ask for the Lord's help with this passage, and we'll get right into the text. Uh, Gracious Father, thank you so much for your bountiful gifts. Uh, it was, we even see in this text, signs and wonders, they're all around us. There's the powerful ones and, and then there's the common grace too, like a, a sunny day and the joy of laughter and all these kinds of things. You're just so good to us, Lord. You're so good to us. Uh, we thank you for this passage. We pray that you'll give us uh, wisdom and insight to understand uh, the, the challenge and the encouragement that is in this text and uh, help us to apply it to our lives, each and every one of us who's hearing these words. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Sometimes people are obviously off course. Uh, It reminds me of the man who was driving home from work, and his uh, wife called him on his cell phone, and since it was his wife, he answered it. Uh, Be careful, honey, she said. Be careful out there. Uh, I just heard on the radio that there's a car driving the wrong way on the interstate. I know, he said. "And It's not just one car, it's hundreds of them. Sometimes it's obvious when we get off course. Other times, it's more gradual. Sometimes we get off course more gradual. It's subtle. It's imperceptible. It it happens so gradually, you can't even tell that it's happened, that you've gotten off course. Uh, That's what today's passage is about. Uh, Today's passage is a warning. It is a warning about the danger of spiritual drift. Uh, If you've been here the last uh, few weeks, uh, you know that we are studying through the book of Hebrews this winter. We're doing the first half of the book this winter. And uh, last week, we finished chapter one, and chapter one focuses on the supremacy of Jesus Christ. That's, that's where the, the book begins, and so you start with this emphasis in the first four verses, introductory sort of uh, assertion, uh, Jesus is greater than everything, is what it says in the first four verses. It's the supremacy uh, of Jesus. And then the author sets out to prove this to us, to show us that Jesus is, is greater than everything, and so he starts with the angels, the angelic beings, and so uh, that's what we looked at last week in the second part, or really the last two-thirds, I suppose, of of chapter one. And we talked last week about how Jesus is greater than the angels, but it's not just angels, we said, it's all the cosmic powers. Any cosmic power, real or imagined, Jesus is greater than all of them. Uh, We're not done with this theme yet. The author actually has quite a bit more to say about the supremacy of Jesus. He's going to move on to to Moses and the prophets and the Mosaic law and all that kind of stuff. Uh, But before he goes back to the supremacy of Jesus, uh, there's something else he wants to do first. And that's where this warning comes in. The author wants to give us a warning, which is what we have in this morning's passage. That shorter passage uh, Nancy just read for us a few moments ago, chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. It's a warning. And it's actually the first of five warnings in Hebrews. Uh, If you uh, want an outline for the book of Hebrews, it's not a bad one to to assert that the whole thing is organized around five warnings. There are actually five warnings in Hebrews, and they're spaced pretty evenly throughout the book. The first one is today's passage. So the first warning is in chapter 2. The second one is in chapter 3, so we'll get to it relatively soon. The third warning is in chapter 6. Uh, the next one is in chapter 10, and then the last one is in chapter 12. And so they're kind of, as I say, spaced throughout the book, five warnings. And in one sense, the warnings are all the same. In one sense, they're the same because they're all about the danger of falling away from Jesus. Right? that—that's are warnings about the danger of falling away from Jesus. Uh, you might remember, if you were here for the first week in this series, that I, I pointed out that the, really the, the theme of Hebrews, we always think of it as this uh, theological book about kind of understanding the Old Testament in light of the New Testament. And it is definitely that. But in terms of the application, the, the, the personal thrust of the book, it's an encouragement. And Hebrews is an encouragement to not quit on Jesus. Press on in your faith. Don't give up on Jesus. No matter how hard the persecution gets, no matter how hard the challenges are, don't fall away. I think that's a pretty good summary, actually, of the whole message of Hebrews. And so that's what these warnings are about. These five warnings we'll look at as we study through this book together, they're about the danger of falling away from Jesus. They're not all the same, though. It's not just the same warning repeated five times. Each one gives us a different angle on how somebody might do that. And so each one is a different angle, a different way that someone could walk away, fall away from Jesus. And so the first one, this one we're looking at this morning, is a warning about the danger of drifting away, right, gradually, slowly, just drifting away. And this really is one of the biggest dangers Christians face in their walk with the Lord. Uh, The fact of the matter is most Christians are not going to quit on Jesus in some blazing outburst of apostasy, you see those sometimes. Some celebrity pastor or theologian or something like that will, will kind of get all kinds of attention because he or she decides to turn away from Jesus. And so there's always those. But, but for most of us, the greater danger is that we'll just quietly, gradually, imperceptibly drift away from the Lord. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to use uh, the time we have to talk about what the author warns us about here, the danger of spiritual drift. And we're going to organize this in, uh, into two parts. This really breaks out very nicely into two parts. Uh, first, we're going to talk about the danger itself. So what is it we need to beware? Uh, and then second, we're going to talk about the safeguard to put in place. Because right? we're, we're not going to let this happen to us. The Holy Spirit isn't going to let this happen to us. And so there's a safeguard we need to put in place. And so we're going to prevent the danger. Here's what we're going to do. So we're, really, if we're going to prevent the danger in part one, we'll, we'll put into place the safeguard in part two, that's kind of the logic of how this passage works. So let's start with the danger—the danger that we need to beware. And there's a specific danger this passage alerts us to. It's the danger of neglecting our relationship with the Lord. The danger of neglecting our relationship—that's uh, how people drift away. They fail. Uh, they they neglect. They neglect the Lord. That's how you drift away. Uh, take a look at verse one. So the author says therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away from it so i want to focus on the second half of that first we'll come back to the we'll come back to the first half of the verse in a little bit but he says lest we drift away from what we've heard this gospel this salvation uh, that we have heard Uh, this word drift away is a really a pretty interesting word it's very picturesque uh, it, it's used in some different ways in, uh, in the Greek language. If you kind of just study, what is he saying here? What is he warning us against when he tells us don't drift away? A couple of ways it's used. One way you, you'll see this used in the Greek language is, is to describe uh, a ring slipping off your finger. There are actually instances of this in Greek literature. I don't think there's any in the Bible, but if you look at Greek literature from the same time period, how was this word used? And so if imagine imagine you lose a bunch of weight, right? Maybe it's intentional or maybe you've been sick and you lose, you know, 10, 15 pounds, something like that, you might suddenly find that a ring that has always felt fit, nice and snug, suddenly is loose. And if you're not paying attention, that ring might slip away. It might, might fall off your finger. This word, this word translated in this text is drift away. That's it's that word. You don't even know it's happened. You look, oh no, where did it go? It's, it slipped away. It drifted away. The more common way this word is used, though, is, is it's actually a nautical term. Uh, it's, a, it's a word that was used to describe something that would happen to a boat. And so if you've got a boat, let's say you've got a, a relatively modest little boat, and uh, you tie it up to the dock, but then somehow it becomes untied it becomes unmoored i guess is the term so your boat becomes unmoored maybe somebody walks by and pulls on the knot or maybe you didn't make it tight enough but somehow or other the boat becomes untied Uh, what's going to happen to that boat it's going to drift away it's not going to motor away you know at 20 knots or whatever no it's just going to gradually kind of just float away on the tide float away on the current that's this word and so what the author says here is that can happen in your relationship with the lord if we're not careful, we might drift away. We might drift away from him. So he's warning us, don't let that happen to you. Uh, this is where verse 3 comes in. Verse 3 describes how that might happen to us. It would happen if we neglect. Right? So how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? The person who neglects is the one that he's warning us with in verse 1. So you might drift away if you neglect this great salvation. That term great salvation references back to that first verse one, uh, that which we have heard. They're, they're referring to the same thing. It's the good news. It's the gospel. It's our walk with the Lord. And so this word neglect, it, this one's a little more familiar word, not quite, as, uh, not quite the word picture, but it just means to be careless, to be careless, heedless, uh, to ignore something you should pay attention to. That, that's what the, this word means. Uh, Jesus uses this word in a parable, he tells. It's in Matthew chapter 22, verse 5. And it's the parable about the wedding feast. And so there was a great king, Jesus said, and this king decided to throw a wedding feast for his son. His son was getting married. And it's obvious in the parable that the God is the king and his son is Jesus. And uh, you know, so this king decides to throw a wedding feast for his son, and he sends out invitations to everybody in his kingdom. And we read in verse 5, Jesus says, uh, they paid no attention to, uh, to, the, uh, to the invitations. They went off one to his farm, another to his business. That word paid no attention. It's our word neglect. They neglected and went off. Uh, one to his farm, another to his business. So they got a, a, an invitation from the king, uh, something you should pay attention to, but instead they, they ignored it. They, they neglected it. That, that's the word that's used here in Hebrews, uh, verse 3. It means to neglect. <laughs> Give me a second here to get my notes to be more cooperative. okay. There we go. That is the danger that this text is warning us about. It's warning us about uh, the danger of neglecting Jesus. That The danger is that we would be like those people were to the king in the parable, that we would be heedless, that we'd be careless. We would neglect the invitation the Lord has issued to us to be in fellowship with him. Uh, we'd be like the person who leaves the house while the gas stove is still going. Or we'd be like the person who texts while he's driving down the highway. It's neglectful. It's careless. That's the danger. We'd be like that with the Lord. And the thing about neglect, you think of some of those examples. Sometimes, you know, occasionally, I suppose, being neglectful might not cause any great harm. But, but a lot of times, a lot of times, including in that parable Jesus tells, when we're neglectful of something, there's a cost, right? A lot of times, neglect is dangerous. And that's certainly the idea here. That's why these words are chosen. It's dangerous to neglect, our relationship with the Lord. Why? Because bad things happen. There are consequences to neglecting our relationship with the Lord. That's what the, the, the passage says in the next couple of verses. So if you look at verses 2 and 3, which I found kind of tricky verses to understand. I, I spent a good bit of time working on these, so hopefully this is helpful to some. So, um, so verse 2, here's his explanation of why it would be bad to drift away. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? How shall we escape if we let, our, if we, if we let that happen to us, if we neglect, if we drift away? So, so here's what the author's doing here in uh, verses, verses 2 and the first half of verse 3. Um, he's making a comparison. He's making a comparison. He's comparing two things. He's comparing he's comparing the consequences of violating the Old Testament law. He compares that with the consequences of neglecting the Lord. So neglecting the, the good news, neglecting Jesus. Where do I get that? Well, verse 2. So look at verse 2. He talks about the message declared by angels. And you, you read that, and you say, what is he talking about? What, I don't remember message, any message angels declared. What, what message is he talking about there? And the answer is that he's talking about the, the law of Moses. That, that is a reference. That, that first part there of verse 2 is a reference to the law given to Moses on Mount Sinai. Now, we, those of us who grew up on the old Charlton Heston movie or a little younger, you know, the Disney movie, The, the, the Prince of Egypt, where you scratch your head and you say, where were angels in that? Right? I don't remember angels giving the law on, on Mount Sinai. God gave the law to Moses, right? Yes, but angels were involved, and that's what the author's doing here. And he, he, why angels? Well, because we were just talking about angels, right? We established the supremacy of Jesus over the angels, and so now he's going to bring the angels in here. So, so where does the Bible say that angels were involved? Well, there's a few places, actually. Uh, Deuteronomy, you can go look this one up later. Deuteronomy chapter 33. Uh, it's near the end of Moses' life, so it's almost 40 years after Mount Sinai. And Moses knows he's going to die soon, but before the people go into the Promised Land, he reminds them of Mount Sinai. He reminds them of when God gave them the law. And listen to what he says. And this is, it's different wording than what you find in Exodus. But there, here's Moses telling the people what happened on Mount Sinai. Deuteronomy 33, verse 2. He, says, he tells the people, The Lord came from the 10,000s of holy ones. There's our angels. And and the idea is they're attending with him. The Lord came from the 10,000s of holy ones with flaming fire at his right hand. Who's the flaming fire? It's the angels. Uh, The angels came with him. Yes, he loved his people. All his holy ones were in his hand. I think the right way to understand that verse, it's Deuteronomy 33, 2 and 3, is he's talking about angels. Angels were with him. Now, if all I had was that, I might still scratch my head a little bit, but there's at least two verses in the New Testament that tell us angels were involved. The first one is in Acts, Acts chapter 7, when Stephen, the first Christian martyr, when Stephen is being stoned, uh, being killed, basically, by having rocks thrown at him. uh, He says to this group of Jews who are going to do this, he says, you received the law as delivered by angels, and you did not keep it. So this is Stephen, they actually haven't th- started throwing the stones yet at this point. This is Stephen telling, really challenging and confronting these Jewish leaders who had rejected Jesus. He says, you received the law, you received it as delivered by the hands of angels, and you didn't keep it. That's Acts 7, 53. So Stephen says that angels were involved in the giving of the law, and then Paul says it. Galatians 3, verse 19, Paul says the law was, quote, put in place through Angels. So that's the message declared by angels. When the author of Hebrews mentions this in uh, chapter 2, verse 2, and again, we don't know all the details on it. Exodus definitely emphasizes God's role, but angels were, were there in some sense as, as angelic attendants, as angelic messengers. And so when, verse two, when chapter 2, verse 2, talks about the message declared by angels, you go ahead and write in your margin, if you're a margin writer, the law of Moses. That in this context is is the message declared by angels. It's the law of Moses. Which then helps us understand the second second half of verse 2. He he says it was reliable. The message put in place by by angels was reliable. The law of Moses was reliable. It was true. It was good. The law is good. Uh, Repeatedly the New Testament says that. And this is why the Lord punished his people when they violated it. Every transgression or obedience, right? That next part of verse 2. Every transgression or disobedience of the law of Moses received a just retribution. That's the story of the Old Testament. Whenever God's people uh, disobeyed him and didn't repent, whenever they they, uh, defied him, when they broke his law, they faced the consequences of that. Right, where that's actually going to be a theme in, in Hebrews. We'll come back to it. He'll come back to it in, in later chapters. Whenever Israel rejected the Lord's law and disobeyed him, it went badly for him. They faced consequences for their neglect. That, and remember, it's a comparison, that sets us up for verse 3. He says, if God judged them for neglecting the law, why do we think we're going to get away with neglecting our great salvation? Why do we think God's going to give us a pass if he didn't give them a pass? After all, here's the connection to chapter 1, after all, Jesus is greater than the angels, remember? Jesus is greater than the angels. And so if God punished Israel when they neglected the law, which was only given through angels, how much more is he going to hold us accountable if if we neglect Jesus Christ? And so you get this this warning in in verse 3, how shall we escape? How shall we escape if, if we neglect the Lord and, and let ourselves drift away? And so that's this danger. That's the danger that we're alerted to here. If we neglect our relationship with the Lord, uh, we may very well drift away from the Lord. Not all at once. It's not like I miss my quiet time today and I'm gone tomorrow. That's not the idea. It's, it's, again, it's drift away. It's float away quietly, imperceptibly. Maybe nobody even notices. But if we let that happen in our lives, if we drift away from the Lord... Verses 2 and 3, there will be consequences. We'll start living the way Israel did. We'll start disobeying him like Israel did. This is, again, it's five warnings. He'll come back to the example of Israel. Uh, We'll we'll do the sort of things they did. We'll do things that that get us in trouble, that hurt us, that hurt the people we love. Uh, In our own context, we, we might end up addicted or abandoned by people who just can't put up with us anymore, or embarrassed for what we did, or ashamed. Our marriages might break apart. Our kids might call us hypocrites. Our, our friends might stop hanging out with us because they just can't stand it anymore. Or maybe it'll all just be on the inside. We'll just become cold and bitter and hard. It's going to look different in different people's situations, but whatever it looks like, the point is, 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 drifting away is dangerous. It's a dangerous, dangerous thing to let happen to us. So don't, so don't do it. That's that's always the thrust of a warning. When you warn somebody about something, you're telling them don't do it, don't let that happen to you. So all that's pretty sobering, right? Isn't it? It's kind of heavy. It's kind of serious here, Uh, and and it's a warning. It's supposed to be sobering, right? That's the, the nature of warnings. They're supposed to wake us up to the danger. But but this warning's also supposed to do something else. And I think really here's the, the positive thrust of this. Uh, it's, meant to add, it's meant to press us to ask a question. And the question is, what can I do to prevent it? <laughs> right? I don't want that to happen to me. And so how can I protect myself? How can we protect ourselves from the danger of spiritual drift? And that gets us to the second half of this whole thing. It's the safeguard we need to put in place. And the safeguard is that we need to pay attention, <laughs> pay attention to our relationship with the Lord. Don't neglect it. Pay attention to it. Uh, that's, that's actually where it starts. I kind of glossed over it a little bit before so I could talk about it now, but that's, where the, that's, well, that's where the, where the, really where the emphasis is in verse 1. Uh, he says, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. We must pay much closer attention. And so the way to keep ourselves from neglecting our great salvation, to pull in the term from verse 3, is to pay attention to our great salvation that's the connection between those two verses verse one and verse three so instead of ignoring it instead of neglecting it instead of being careless with with our our lord and with our walk with him and our relationship with him we won't be careless we'll pay attention we'll give it it, it, it's due emphasis Uh, and there is extra emphasis too Uh, i I put i put it on the slide it, it would have been enough he would have made his point if he just said we must pay attention but instead, he, he uses this extra kind of unnecessary word. I think technically it's an adverb. We must pay much closer attention, he says. We must pay much closer attention. So, so don't try to multitask your way through your spiritual life. right? A little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of Jesus, a little bit of this. <laughs> yeah, that, that's good for you know, working through your email on a, on a lazy Sunday afternoon. But not Jesus. Give Jesus your Full attention, pay close attention, much closer attention uh, to to your walk with Him. That's what it says there at the beginning of the verse. And to pull in that verb, that word drifting, this is how we keep from drifting. This is how we keep the boat from drifting away. It's the equivalent of tying the strongest knot you know right? Getting out the book, or some of you are actually, you know, have some, some nautical background. You know which knots to talk, to, to, to touch, right? The rest of us get the YouTube tutorial. What's the best knot? I get the best knot. I tie the tightest knot. I make my ship as secure as possible. I make sure there's no way my boat's going to drift away. That, that, that's the sense of that there. You pay much closer attention. Now, how are we going to do that? What's that going to look like? Is he going to give us any help here in terms of how to do that and i actually think yes that's actually what we get in the rest of the this paragraph verses three and four i think we get two cues for what we need to pay much closer attention to so it's not just kind of nebulous i think we have two things here we can focus in on and so if you look at the text uh, you'll see uh, most english translations will start a new sentence in the middle of the verse uh, it was declared at first by the lord and it's, it's important to understand what it is referring to. Uh, it it's connects directly to a great salvation. So if you diagram the text like I did at the beginning of last week, uh, it, the it is the great salvation, and therefore refers back to the, uh, what we have heard from verse 1. They're all talking about the same thing. So what we're going to get now in the second half of verse 3 and verse 4 is a description of, of how to pay attention to our great salvation. Right, so here's, here's what we need to, to, to do with our great salvation. And so there's two things. There's two things he tells us to focus on. Let me read the verse again. Uh, it, our great salvation, was declared at first by the Lord and attested to us by those who heard. Verse 4, while God also bore witness, by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So what we are given here are two things to focus on. Beginning of the verse, beginning of the the paragraph, pay much closer attention. Much closer attention to what? Well, these two things. First, God's word. Pay much closer attention to God's word. That's how you keep from drifting. Uh, And and we see this, it's it's in that second half of verse three. So he starts out, he says, uh, this great salvation was declared at first by the Lord. He's talking about Jesus. He's talking about Jesus there. That's Jesus. Uh, Jesus declared his salvation. Sometimes, you know, like uh, liberal theologians will claim that the gospel all got made up after Jesus. His followers came up with it 20, 30, 40, 50 years later. No, Jesus came up with his gospel. Mark chapter 1, verse 14. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's Jesus. Mark 1, verse 14. Uh, Jesus himself declared this great salvation, the author reminds us. And then we also get it from the apostles, right? We do get it from the apostles. Uh, and it says, and it was attested to us by those who heard. And so that's, that's the, the, the witnesses, right? So they heard Jesus proclaim the gospel, And then they went out and proclaimed the gospel, right? They took the Great Commission to heart. Uh, Go into all the world and preach the gospel, right? There it was. So Jesus proclaimed the good news, and then his followers, specifically the apostles uh, in that first generation, proclaimed the gospel. And what happens when you put those two together? When you take the words of Jesus and you put them with the words of the apostles, you put them together, you've got, we call it the New Testament. All right, that, that's the New Testament. The message of Jesus plus the witness of the apostles is the New Testament. The New Testament affirms the Old Testament. Jesus said, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. So you look at the second half of verse 3. What is it talking about? It's talking about this. It's talking about the testimony of Jesus and his apostles here in the words of Scripture. Pay close attention to that this paragraph says, pay close attention. If you want to prevent your own heart from drifting away from the Lord, well, God's word is what you need. God's word keeps us from drifting. So that's the first way. The second way, so there's another one here, the second way to protect ourselves from spiritual drift is to also pay attention to God's works. So we got God's words and God's works. And that's the emphasis of verse 4. right? So, so you see how we're given these testimonies. That, that's really what the second half of 3 in verse 4 is doing. It's Here are the different witnesses of this great salvation that we need to give our close attention to. The first is God's word given through Jesus and the apostles. The second one is the works of God in the world. God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his according to his will. So, again, we have the witnesses from verse 3, the witness of Scripture, but then we have another witness, and it's the witness of the things God does in his world. The things God does in the world. And he gives us this list, um, uh, signs, wonders, uh, various miracles, he says. So we think of the things we read about, the mighty acts we read about in the Old Testament. We think of the miracles Jesus did. We think of the miracles they saw in the early church. We, th- we think of the things he continues to do in the world, right? The, the ways God continues to work in the world. The author also mentions the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so he wraps in that whole, he's not going to explain it here, but he brings in that whole theology of God the Holy Spirit gives each one of us gifts. And he then uses those gifts to accomplish his will. We do things we couldn't do on our own because he's working in us and through us by the power of his Holy Spirit. So pay attention to that too, he says. I'm, I'm bundling that all of that together with this idea of his works. God is working, is the author's point. God is working in our lives. He heals us. He comforts us he empowers us, he, he, he strengthens us, he, he provides for us in our needs, he, he watches over us, he does miracles, he, he answers prayers, big ones and little ones, he protects us when we're in danger, sometimes when we don't even know we're in danger. The idea is if we look for it, and I think that's what we're being urged to do here, to keep ourselves from drifting away, if we look for it, we see all kinds of evidence that our God is working in our lives. About 20 years ago, uh, our, our family uh, took a vacation with some friends. So our children were all little 20 years ago. Our daughter is in her mid 20s now, but she was about five at the time. Our oldest, uh, our oldest child. We have three. is named Hannah, and uh, we were on this vacation. We lived out east back then, and so it was a vacation up in Maine, it was a much closer place to get to. And uh, we were in this little, kind of picturesque, touristy sort of town. And uh, we went out to breakfast together. Our family and the good friends of ours, his other family, and the nine of us, I guess, at that time, uh, went out to breakfast together. We had a lovely time at this diner, and it was in this busy little uh, main town, the height of summer. And uh, when we came out, it was, it was this chaotic kind of scene. I mean, cars driving everywhere and lots of tourists, lots of stuff going on. Beautiful sunny day. And we needed to cross the street to get to where we'd parked. And so we'd parked across the street. That was the only parking we could find. And so we were, we were on our way to cross the street. And at that, my, my daughter, Hannah, five years old, you know how kids are. Uh, she would never do this today, but uh, five-year-old Hannah would. She, she moved to run for the car. Because that's what you do. There's our car, and we're on vacation. This is great. Let's run to the car and go do the next fun thing. Fortunately, thankfully, I was, I was right here next to her. Just as we were about to cross the street, and I don't know, dad's instinct, I guess, kicked in. And I didn't really even clock that she was going to do it, but I went like this. I didn't even grab her. I just went like this to keep her from running. And just as I did, this car <laughs> goes flying by. And I, I hadn't seen it. She hadn't seen it. But hand, car. And I remember thinking in that instant... If I hadn't put my hand down, that car would have hit my daughter. No no doubt in my mind. To this day, I still remember it vividly, right? It's wow, I can tell you this story. That car absolutely would have hit my daughter. Is that a miracle? Is it a sign? Is it a wonder? (laughs) Sure felt like it to me. Still does. God's watching over us. God was watching over us that day. What's my point? My my point isn't to tell you a story about me. The point is we all have stories like that. We have stories, we all have stories of different ways, big ways, little ways, medium-sized ways, ways God has worked in our lives. We all have stories like that. They're examples of what the Lord did for us. They're examples of God's work. This passage is saying, pay attention to that stuff and keep revisiting it, right? That's the safeguard, keep reminding yourself that God is working in your life. He's working in personal ways, maybe stories like that. Maybe there's a, a time when he provided for you and you had no idea how you were going to, you know, it was a job or it was you know, a friend gave you some money or you sold something for a better price than you ever thought you'd sell it for. Uh, all kinds of ways. And then there's all those other kinds of works. This great salvation we have. Even if he never did a thing for us, this would be more than enough. Even if he did, never did a, did a single thing for us this would be more than enough. And so I think the, the, the thrust here is keep reminding yourself of that. That'll prevent the drift. After all, how can we neglect our relationship with a God like that? How could we neglect, neglect our relationship with a God who takes care of us and loves us so well? About a week and a half ago, uh, a man in Florida was uh, diving. He was uh, diving off the coast of Florida uh, down near the, the Keys, I guess. Uh, so I think that's technically in the Gulf of Mexico. But they were diving, uh, and they were free diving, not scuba diving, free diving. And uh, this guy, he's an experienced diver. He, he's a relatively young guy, but he's been diving for like 15 years, not some novice who didn't know what he was doing. Uh, but despite his experience, while he was underwater, somehow he got caught in a current like an underwater current. And apparently he didn't even realize this was happening. I don't know if he was engrossed with what he was looking at or what, but he got carried away. And so while he was underwater, he drifted from the spot where he was supposed to be. And so when he came up to the surface, he kind of, he was done and he came up and expected to see the boat and the boat, he could still see his boat, the boat where his friends were, but it was really far away. He could barely see it off off in the distance. That's how far he drifted. They couldn't see him. He could see the boat, but the boat couldn't see him. And they actually, they realized he was missing. They started to search, but they couldn't find him. They they couldn't find this guy. And so after about half an hour, 20 minutes, half an hour, they they, they said, we better go get some help. So they went back to shore. So here he is. He's still floating in the water. And you can kind of see them leaving, but he couldn't get their attention. And, and so they went back to shore, they got the Coast Guard, they got some family members, they kind of organized this search real quick, and the, you know, this little mini flotilla went out trying to find him, somebody, find him somewhere, just hoping he wasn't underwater. They didn't even know if, he, if he'd ever even come up. Meanwhile, for his part, he found a, a piece of driftwood. That was about all he had, because again, no scuba equipment, but he did find this piece of wood that was floating, kind of gave him something to hold on to, but otherwise he was kind of stuck. I guess they were too far out to swim in. Maybe he was exhausted, I'm not sure, but he couldn't get to shore, and so he had to just kind of float there, hoping that they'd find him. Well, thankfully, the, the story had a happy ending. Uh, they, he'd been missing for several hours. It was actually getting late. The sun was about to go down. They knew it would be much harder to find him when the sun went down. And then they found him. One of his family members, I think, actually saw. Wait, I think that's a person. They saw it, they went over, they, and that was him. They, they were able to rescue him. And so he was okay. And I was thinking, I saw that story, I thought, that's a pretty good picture of what God's doing with this passage. These four verses, that's what God's doing. This passage is like a search party sent to rescue us from spiritual drift. That's what this is for. And so if you've drifted, let's just, if you've drifted from the Lord, even just a little bit, Right? Maybe the dock's there. We've just, we've just drifted here. If we've drifted even just a little bit, this passage, actually, I know it was kind of heavy in some ways, but this passage is good news because what this passage is, is saying is it's not too late. It's never too late. As long as we still have breath in our lungs, it's never too late. Come back. Come back to the dock. Right? That, that's the idea here. Secure the lines. Tie up the boat. Pay close attention to your walk with the Lord. Let me say one more thing before we pray. Do you know what's even better than being rescued? Never drifting away in the first place. And, and that's, that, that's even better, and I think it's why these safeguards are so important. Remember, the function of this book, the point of this book, is to encourage us to, to cling to Jesus, to not let this happen to us. That's why a lot of these warnings, you know, you kind of... I know all of, many of you are like, does this mean we can lose our salvation? We'll address that as we go along in the series. But, but that's not really what he's worried about. What he's worried about is making sure we do what we need to do so that we never even have to worry about it. So, so what's better than, than being rescued? Never drifting away in the first place. So pay close attention. To your walk with the Lord, pay close attention to His word and to His works. And if we do, He'll take care of the rest. Let's pray together. Lord, I want to ask you. uh, Us, I want to praise you. Thank you for your your love for us, your kindness, your mighty acts of power uh, in in our lives and in our world, both now in the present and and in the past through uh, redemptive history. We give you all the praise for that, Lord. Uh, I would ask you to please forgive us for our drifting. Uh, We uh, we are prone to wander. Uh, prone to leave the god we love that is uh, just part of this flesh we 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 live with still Uh, forgive us for any drifting in any of our hearts and lord protect us from it protect us from that impulse to drift help us to to cling tightly uh, to your word to your works to stay uh, firmly tied to the dock to stay firmly tied to our lord Uh, and uh, we just your spirit uh, that's that you know those mighty works that mighty power you're the one who can help us do that and so i pray that you would for me and for every one of us who are hearing these words right now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.